Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode is a continuation of our series for the season of Epiphany. I'm inviting people on who have had aha moments, revelations, new ideas, epiphanies during their walk of faith to share with us what that experience was like and and how they understand that experience today. In this episode, I'm bringing on Tyler Derrick. Tyler is uh, an individual who attends our pub theology gatherings for young adults at Bethany. And he's a really uh, intelligent, thoughtful guy who has an aha moment that he wanted to share. And it's a really cool conversation that we have because the way Tyler originally thought about his aha moment is now very different now that he's had some space about 10 years or so since this first happened. So I'll let Tyler tell you the whole story. But as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing this podcast with family and friends. And now enjoy an aha podcast with our friend Tyler Derrick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Together for Good podcast. So glad that you're listening today. We have a really special guest on the line with me right now is the one, the only Tyler Derrick. Tyler, say hello. Hi, everybody. And here's the thing. You, uh, dear listeners, may not know Tyler, but I've gotten to know him pretty well over the last year and a half or so. He's been coming to our pub theology events at Bethany. And the other night um, we were having one of those great gatherings and I just put it out to the group. I'm like, hey, I'm doing this podcast series about aha moments in the life of faith. If anyone wants to jump up and be a part of that. And Tyler, you, you, you saw me out right away. I really appreciate you. You just love being on the podcast, right? I do. Uh, it is a secret uh, pleasure of mine to do podcasts. Growing up, I had friends who would do sports podcasts and invite me on. And it was always super fun. No way. Epiphany. No, I figured. Oh, we we gotta find some of those. I, I need to hear some of these uh, sports podcasts from decades of yore. Um, that sounds really exciting. There's a couple. I'll I'll be honest too. There's a few um, podcasts out there in the metaverse um, that I recorded with my friends, also uh, sports related. <laughs> so we could we can compare and contrast someday if we can ever track them down. Okay. <laughs> um, but first, um, why don't you, I just want you to introduce yourself a little bit to Tyler for those people at home so they can get to know you a little bit. Tell us that, you know, tell us about where you grew up, where you went to school, what you're doing here in Denver now. Just kind of give us a lay of the land. Sure. Um, so as Pastor Nate said, my name's Tyler Derrick. Um, I grew up in Virginia uh, in a city called Roanoke, which is about 250,000 people. Um, mm-hmm. I am the son of two Lutheran, two ELCA Lutheran pastors. Uh, one Mercy. of them is based at my home congregation, uh, St. Philip Roanoke. And the other is currently the assistant to the bishop of the Virginia Synod um, and the likely discerning running for bishop uh this june so no way oh i didn't know that wow this is breaking news for the podcast oh my gosh (laughs) yeah the future remains uncertain but yeah i uh went to an elca college i went to roanoke college which is a small liberal arts school in my hometown Um, also isn't roanoke college not in roanoke technically not and that's i knew it (laughs) yeah roanoke college is so old that um, what used to be known as Roanoke is now the city of Salem. So it is Roanoke College, technically not in Roanoke. 
which <laughs> is always a fun trivia fact for those who know. Yes. Oh, so don't don't get a geography degree from Roanoke College. That's the real lesson here. Correct. No, no. <laughs> uh, cool. So you went to Roanoke College. What what year did you graduate? So I am a 2020 grad. So I graduated in sort of the beginning stages of the pandemic. Um, I was sent home um, four days after I got back from spring break and never went back. And I finished my degree in an online sense as everybody was first figuring out how to do online classes and online seminar things. And that that was my senior year spring semester story. I'm so sorry. That's a that's a real bummer for our seniors. That's what I always thought. Seniors in high school or seniors in college, that just right. You didn't I pro- you probably didn't feel like you got to be, you know, like properly celebrate and say goodbye. That must have been really difficult. It was a little strange. Um, I yeah. did end up having a commencement a year later, but at that point, folks had moved home. So there's people in Florida, people in California, Montana, who that's too far away to come back for a one day commencement a year later. So I mm-hmm. to say goodbye to some folks. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, that's too bad. So then you finish up college in 2020. And how do you even make plans for after college, given the state of the world at that point? Yeah, so I, it was really, the pandemic flipped all of my plans upside down, because I was planning on doing Young Adults and Global Mission, uh, ELCA, had already been accepted to the program, was ready to go up to do discernment in Chicago in March, um, and was ready to be in either Australia or Rwanda, and got the email from Dan, who is one of the organizers of the Young Adults and Global Mission, saying, hey, we're moving DIP to be online this year. And then three days later, hey, we've canceled Yagum for this year. It then got canceled again the following year. And that's actually, interestingly, what brought me out to Denver is that through my connections at Roanoke College, um, I have a very close kinship with the chaplain there, um, Mm -hmm. who is still my spiritual director to this day. and was asking him, hey, Chaplain Chris, is there any, I, I think I still want to do a year of service, but I think I'm just worn out from the global ones getting canceled now the last two years. Yeah, no is, kidding. Is there any program stateside that you would recommend me for? He recommended a couple. He recommended, of course, Lutheran Volunteer Corps. But interestingly, he had just had a pitch meeting from the executive director of Urban Servant Corps, which is a nonprofit year of service program based out here solely in Denver. Mm-hmm. And out of that interview, um, basically told me, Tyler, this has your name written all over it. Uh, so we did a little bit of research, um, applied, heard back from them within 24 hours. Yes, we want you. And nice. basically packed up my bags, drove across the country from Virginia, moved out here to Denver. Isn't that amazing how right, in, in some areas of life, right, you're literally waiting for two years. And then just by like kind of shifting to this other program, you hear yes within 24 hours. I just love how that the irony of it all, you know, of how you can wait around forever and then just a slight shift somewhere else can suddenly open doors instantaneously. Um, what did you what did you do those two years as you waited for for young adults and global mission to maybe start? Yeah, so uh, the first year, even though I was a graduated senior, I had spent all four of my years at school. I was a tour guide, um, oh, giving nice. tours to prospective students. Yeah, um, and even though I had graduated, because it was still the pandemic, 
uh, particularly over that first summer, they asked me to come back because I lived in town. So normally they would have students who would stay over the summer, but because they got sent home to Las Vegas, to Chicago, wherever it was, there were significantly less tour guides available to them. And not to toot my own horn, but I was a really, really good tour guide. <laughs> so they asked me to stay. So I did that through the winter um, of 2020. And then after that, I got a job at UPS and just kept waiting to hear from, I didn't want anything that felt too permanent because I was waiting to hear, okay, is Young Adults and Global Mission going to happen? Yeah. If it does, I don't want to be on the full-time job trajectory and then end up having to leave that to go and do a year of service. I want something that feels stable while also temporary. And so I worked at UPS. I had, I really did three different things at UPS. I did that, all of that remaining winter um, and then all that remaining summer. And then I gave my two week notice saying, Hey, I'm moving out to Denver. And my supervisor heard me and said, Oh, you're going to do a vacation in Denver. And I was like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm moving to Denver. Like this is my two week notice. I, I can't work in this hub if I'm in Denver. He said, Oh, <laughs> and that was that. And then, Oh my gosh. Oh, unbelievable. Wow. Okay. So, and the thing for, for those listening, I know a little bit about Urban Servant Corps and, and other um, other organizations like this, where it's a year of service, oftentimes for young adults right after they finish college or maybe as a gap year between high school and college. And the idea is that you live in community and then you have roles um, in different community service organizations. Did I get that pretty, pretty correct? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Tell us what um, what organization you worked with in particular during your year of service. Sure. So as Pastor Nate said, we are all one community that lives together. Um, and then we all serve at a nonprofit service site, typically in the Capitol Hill neighborhood around where our house is, but okay. with some variance. So for myself, I serve at Same Cafe, which Same stands for So All May Eat. Um, and it's a nonprofit restaurant, which likely sounds like a foreign thing, but it's on East Colfax, <laughs> right by East High School, if you're familiar with the downtown Denver area. And what it is, is a nonprofit restaurant, is it offers anyone coming in for a meal three ways to pay or participate for your meal. So you can either volunteer for a half hour, you can give any amount of money. Uh, we have no suggested donation. It could be one cent, it could be a million dollars. Any amount of money will cover your meal. Or you can give your own homegrown produce as well. And the reason we offer that third option is that it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy to grow something and care for something and nurture it. So we want to then recognize that. So if you were to bring yeah. in produce, some folks will pick rhubarb and mint off of the streets and bring that in. And we'll absolutely take that as their participation. And so that's how you then participate. Um, and we're open Monday through Friday, 11 to 2.30. Um, what else? And uh, so I did my year of service there. Uh, so I did that for a full year and really helped everywhere. I was uh, a jack of all trades in the truest sense of the definition. Uh -huh. uh, and after my year of service, I got hired on as full-time staff. So I'm still there. Um, that is sometimes the path that uh, Urban Servant Corps alumni will take is they'll oftentimes get hired on by their service sites. So I'm still working there. I am our cafe coordinator, which is 
a fancy word for I'm a jack of all trades. They wrote the role <laughs> for me. Uh, so I'll cook once a week. So um, I do have professional cooking experience. Um, I work with a lot of our volunteers, new volunteer coordinating. Um, I'm in charge of a couple of our advisory board projects, but really a lot of things at the cafe. I at least have a little bit of my hands in, and there's traces of my influence involved in about all of that. That's great. No, and it's really neat to hear that you, you know, um, came out, you right, like came out to do this job as part of the service year. But then I love those stories of people who kind of continue on because you've sort of fallen in love with the organization and with the work. Um, and need to, and need to be able to, you know, stay in a place for more than just 12 months to put down roots or, you know, make further connections in a city after moving out here. So that's great. Wow. Um, and good to know. Yeah. So you're a chef and what a cool, I, I've heard of cafes like this before. There was one in Minneapolis that I worked at a couple of times that had a very similar model, but just a really great, great way to, um, yeah, help those who are, have food insecurities and to kind of be creative about it. And like you said, um, you don't hear too often of nonprofit restaurants, but what a really good vision for it all. That's awesome. Um, cool. So here's what I'm hearing too, Tyler, like uh, getting a sense of your growing up and everything. You have um, two parents who are pastors, which is right, uh, just quite the uh, childhood to grow up in, I can only imagine. Um, and then you uh, clearly, though, value service, value community value communities of faith as well, um, given that, right, like you had this connection with the chaplain at the college where you were attending, you went to a church school, all these good things. And I'm guessing that somehow all of this, you know, this stew that you've got going for us to use an appropriate analogy is going to relate to your aha moment that you've come on this podcast to talk about. Am I, am I on the right track? You are. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I did. I have, as, as the listeners will remember, all epiphany long, I'm trying to bring people on to share stories of aha moments they had during their journey of faith. And Tyler, you've got a good one for us. So let's cue it up. Let's hear um, this story that I know you're itching to share. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Um, keep me honest, time-wise. Uh, I tend to be what some call grab your popcorn, grab your beverage, make sure you're comfortable. Tyler's about to tell a story. I'm a bit of a narrator, so. Can't wait. Oh, this is perfect. We're, we got the right person on the podcast. Take it away, Tyler. Yeah, so as I have mentioned, uh, both of my parents are ELCA pastors uh, in the Virginia Senate of the ELCA, where I'm from. Um, and the Virginia Senate is particularly well known for putting on incredible um youth events. Um, part of that and part of why it might be a little bit different than out here is geographically, it's a much more condensed space. You're not covering as much ground. Uh, so it's everyone who lives in Virginia minus the DC area. Um, and the Virginia Senate will put on at least two of these per school category a year. And so what do I mean by that? Um, we will do a youth event for middle schoolers, seventh and eighth graders uh, in the fall. We do a youth event for fifth and sixth graders in March. And then we do two youth events for high school age students, one of which happens in the late, late winter. And the one involving my story happens over the summer. And so the one that I have a really fond aha moment from was an event called Kairos, which, and Pastor, you might correct me on this, uh, yeah, I believe means time for God. Yeah, it, and it's just, there's so, like, 
Yeah, it's one of those words that gets thrown a lot around in church circles. And yeah, time for God is great. It's just like a different form of time, if you will. Holy time, sacred time. Um, there's and people write like whole books on this one word. So that's a pretty succinct. Good job. You're you're great. Keep going. <laughs> and so Kairos is or time for God is a week long youth event retreat at Rono College. So at the school that I went to. Um, whereas all other youth events are over a weekend. So historically, all of the youth who end up at Kairos there's a much closer bond and a much tighter felt sense of community and a culture of care because you've been together for seven days, eating together, worshiping together, having conversations together, whatever it might be. And it happens a week long. Um, and it was my sophomore year of high school. So I was not too far into my years at this point. Um, of high school youth events, I had been to all the other previous youth events, but this was really me getting my toes in to high school youth events. Um, and now, I mean, just be honest too, was it like a, like a contractual obligation in your household of just like your parents saying, Hey, you're, you're going to this, or did you want to be there? You know, it's funny. I think it speaks to how good of a job the Virginia Senate does is that it was never it never needed to be enforced by my parents. All, nice. th- all three of us, me and my two brothers, were always excited to go to these youth events because there was just such an energy and a culture there that we really felt connected to. So it never needed to be enforced. It was we were willing and couldn't wait. It was often us dragging our parents, especially <laughs> as we got older and were able to drive. It was yeah. us dragging our parents out of the house saying, come on, I got to get over to Reno College and meet all my buds. Yeah. Well, and I'll just I'll jump in here, too. And just uh, for our listeners, let them know that you aren't um, just making this up. I was a pastor on the East Coast in upstate New York Synod, as well as southeastern Pennsylvania Synod. And even in those places, it was well known that Virginia had its act together as far as youth ministry events was concerned. So, um, yeah, you're, you're you're absolutely on track to say, like, they just do a really good job of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, no fudging going on here. No. So. Um, it's critical information for the story. Both of my parents are pastors, but I also come from a long line of pastors on my dad's side. So if I were to become a pastor, I'd be a fifth generation pastor. My mom and my dad were pastors. My grandfather was a pastor. My great grandfather was a pastor and my great, great grandfather was a pastor. So there's a long line there. So even though there was no, it's the family business. Do you guys call it it that? The family business? We never did, but it's always encouraged. It was always encouraged. Well, you know, you could consider being a pastor. Um, So whether implicitly or explicitly, it was always in the forefront of our minds that maybe one of us ought to become a pastor. And so I find myself here at Kairos, time for God, as a sophomore. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of the week, it was... Either our last day, our sixth day there, or our seventh day there, we're all in large group. And so that's when the whole community is together um, to go over schedules, sing songs, uh, do Vesper prayer, whatever it might be. Um, And the youth minister of the Virginia Synod starts to play a song. The song he chooses to play is I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, um, which I'm not very good at harmonizing, so I won't give you a live rendition, but it's a very powerful song. Uh-huh. 
I closed my eyes and I could feel in this small chapel, I could feel the chorus and the humming of all of these young teens and tweens around me. And all of them were singing this same song. And as I closed my eyes, I had the epiphany. I, I told myself, I remember in that moment, I told myself, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be a pastor. Hmm. And so we wrap up the last day at Kairos. I go home, having never really brought up before that I was seriously considering being a pastor, other than it was sort of known that there were pastors in my family and it sort of was the family business. And I said, mom and dad, I want to be a pastor. And they said, oh, what, what makes you say that? And I told them my experience at Kairos. And then me and my dad started to have intentional one-on-one -on -one discernment conversations every Sunday after church. And it did not pan out how I originally thought that it would. Um, as I began to talk more and more about liturgy and about faith with my dad, I recognized that I perhaps did not want to be a pastor. Um, deaconship is maybe still on the table for me now, many, many years later. However, oh goodness, as a sophomore, whatever it was, 10 years later now, uh -huh. uh, deaconship is still maybe on the table. Um, but my faith journey took me in a slightly different direction and brought me out here. And how I now envision my faith is walking with God. Uh, so I'm all about putting faith into practice. And so I now see God mm. every day at my job um, is where I really see God now. And I don't know if I need to be a pastor to feel that kind of love from God. Yeah, I, I love this story too. And uh, I mean, kudos to your parents for not trying to talk you out of it right away, because that's what I would have done. Um, but <laughs> kidding. Um, I love my job. Um, so tell me though, do you feel like, especially as a sophomore in high school, I'm, I'm thinking back to my own faith story and, um, my sophomore year of high school was also this real seminal moment for me. And the way I think about it though, isn't, I didn't feel like a call to ordain ministry at that moment, but that was just kind of the time when it's like, Whoa, like this faith stuff is real and it actually matters to me. Growing up in the church myself, my, my dad's a pastor. And so we were there every Sunday, right? Like probably going through the same motions that you're going through. And it was fine. I didn't dislike it, but it also didn't mean anything to me until my sophomore year of high school. I'm wondering for you, was that similar? Like, was this sense of call to be a pastor that happened at this Kairos event? Was that like, was that kind of all at once? Did your faith already really mean something to you before that? Just sort of wondering if you can even track it. Huh, that is an interesting and deep question with many webs to it. Um, I would say I knew at that point before my time at Kairos, I knew that my faith was real. And I knew that I believed that there was some higher power. I think at that point as a sophomore, I didn't quite buy into the stereotypical tropes of what God might look like, who God might love. Uh, for me, it was God loves everybody. And I know that there is a God. I just don't know how I fit into that mm -hmm. machine. Yet. I don't know what kind of cog I'm going to be into that machine, but I knew absolutely that I believed in God and that there had to be something because it also happened to coincidentally, coinc coincidentally coincide. Um, <laughs> 
So me and my youngest brother are not super far apart in age. We're only three and a half years apart. So the three of us are very, very close. And at the same time that I had had this massive epiphany, my youngest brother um, was starting to show signs of having the opposite, um, where his, his epiphany was, I don't know if God is real. I don't know if God loves me. Um, mm. And so, so then mm-hmm. I that like juxtaposition in my family at the same time that I'm talking about, I think I might want to be a pastor and I'm having discernment meetings with my dad after he's had a long day every Sunday. And at the same time, when my mom has gone back up home um, to the parsonage where we lived, she's having a very different conversation with my brother about, well, why don't you think God is real? Do you think there is something other than a God? Um, so I don't know if that played a role in the timing of it all of my sophomore year, where I felt more passionate because my brother was feeling less passionate, that I don't know. But Yeah, oh, interesting. That's fascinating. But the timing of it all is interesting. The other thing, too, is just right, like growing up in a family of clergy, I think also sort of inherently, at least what I felt, is that it inherently pushes you towards ministry itself. As we joke, like it's the family business. But also if you if you have this deep connection to your faith and it's something you really care about, then you just think like, oh, like, well, yeah, mom or dad does this all the time. So I guess that's just what I should do. Um, Not realizing that, right, like to live out one's faith, faith, as you're finding already, doesn't have to take the form of just ordained ministry, you know? Um, I I just think that that's always an interesting, at least for myself, that how much I just kind of assumed that this was the only way to live out my faith. And and I'm grateful for it. Like, I think God, you know, had had a hand in it and I'm I'm where I need to be. But also that I never even really considered other options Um, just because I I don't know, like it was just like, oh, this is just what you do and kind of went along with the the assumption. So anyways, I'm rambling. Tell me a little bit about how you um, sort of came to this, you know, this pivot point, if you're if you're willing to talk about that of, wait, maybe it's not going on to be a pastor. Maybe it's something different, because I imagine you brought I mean, at what point did you kind of decide that the pastor life wasn't for you? Yeah, I don't know if there isn't like a definitive moment for me that I decided, you know, maybe the pastoral path is not the path for me, but I, it was the culmination of several more intimate one-on-one meetings with my dad um, talking about, okay, well, what are, what are next steps? And maybe my dad didn't handle it as well as he could have. What are the next steps as a sophomore in high school? What are the next steps for becoming a pastor? (laughs) And I think for him, there was some pride in it too, that one of his sons felt really called to the exact same ministry that he was. Um, but as I continued to progress through those one-on-one conversations, they probably lasted. We probably did them for two months, about two months. Um, so it got to August because Kairos happens in June and the school year was approaching. Um, and as the school year started to approach, I started to recognize in myself that this thing that I was, that I once felt so passionate about and felt the Holy Spirit so immensely wasn't there for me anymore, um, at least in the capacity that I felt in that moment, in that space at Kairos. Um, and so I told my dad, I said, dad, um, I want to be upfront with you always. 
um, this hasn't exactly had the results that I was hoping for it. It, and I don't think it's a knock on you. I just think it's my own personal discernment that I don't think God wants to use me in this way. And I, I knew it was the right decision because my dad said, okay, that's okay. And then we went back to the status quo that I'm sure you're aware of, of, okay, we're back to, I'm the lay person, but my dad is the pastor life and my mom is the pastor. They were at the same church. Um, and it was me and my two brothers sitting together. And I still felt a deep connection to that form of ministry too, but I didn't anymore. I didn't see myself anymore up front at the altar in my dad's shoes. Like I visually couldn't see that anymore. Um, huh. And so then that was that. And I was like, okay. And it sounds like, I mean, that's just the thing about discernment of any kind, right? Like that the conversations you had with her dad, they, they had their effect of right. Sifting this out and figuring it out of if this was for you or not. Um, and even though maybe he was disappointed or, you know, it wasn't exactly how people thought it would play out that sometimes that's just what you have to do is you have these, this sense of call, but you sort of have to check it against yourself. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, so then what, I mean, did you go back to Kairos the next summer? So that also might be part of it is I actually did not. I was doing a, my high school was lucky enough to do an exchange program through the German language course. So it just so happened that the two weeks that I spent in Germany with my high school, one of those weeks was also Kairos. So I then had a year break, really two year break in between Kairos's and then I remember going back my senior year yeah, and it had a different feel to it. I'm and, sure. And I didn't have a second epiphany than my senior year when we yeah. sang, I could sing of your love forever toward the end of the event too. Like that second epiphany didn't come to me. Yeah. And so then I think that's when I finally knew at that moment that like, okay, yeah, this is the, this is the end of that. Interesting. Wow. And yet, Right. I mean, when I pitched to the pub theology group, like, hey, come on the podcast and talk about an epiphany. This was the idea that came to mind or one of your ideas that came to mind. So clearly that moment, that event still holds right, like is an important marker in your life and in your journey of faith. And even though you thought it was an epiphany about who, you know, the, your career path and, and who you were called to be, um, that's been nuanced over time, which is, I think, just a really important thing for us to remember is that epiphanies and ahas can be these like bolts of lightning where something becomes really clear. And in the same sense, that can sort of change over time, too. And that's OK. So I'm curious, like, what, what do you how do you think about this event now? Right. In, in the beginning, you assumed it meant one thing very, very clearly. You felt the Holy Spirit and it was I'm going to be a pastor. But now as you look back, do you have like a different way of understanding that moment? Yeah. So for me, this is one of two things that I accredit to for keeping me true to my faith. Um, this moment um, is why I know that I will always be a person of faith and always be a Christian because I felt in that moment such immense love mm. that 
I knew that I never wanted to let that love go. Um, and so it also, in parallel with my brother, as he continued uh, to go, and I have told you this, but I'll tell our listeners too, my youngest brother is completely against the church now, is openly atheist, still a very lovely person, um, but mm-hmm. just does not have space for God in his life. And so for me, this moment, because I feel such a deep connection to God, I always think back to this moment and wonder if I hadn't had had this epiphany, could I perhaps have also found myself mm. going in the other direction with my brother too? Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second one, and it's tangential, I, I credit my chaplain a lot to helping me to explore my faith and spiritual direction with him has been eye-opening to me how I can be a person of faith out here in Denver. What is that supposed to mean about Denver? No, uh, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's really great. Uh, like spiritual direction is a really valuable um, practice to take part in, to just have another person who's really committed to even probably just reflecting a lot of this stuff back, right? That's often what it is, is we just need to externally process this spiritual component of our life. So I'm glad you have that. I'm glad that's continuing too, because I'm sure that kind of started when you went off to college and has continued afterwards. Yeah, I, he was just getting in the spiritual direction just before I left. So we had one session in person and then I left. And so we've been going every month now on Zoom for goodness, what is this now? Almost two years. Amazing. Oh, that's great. That's really great. Uh, wow. So just as you think, though, about your life, your vocation, your sense of call, do you have a sense of where God might be leading you next? Or are you sort of just taking it day by day and really being present at the uh, Sam Cafe? Um, right now, and my current job situation is the first time I've had a job where I truly love, love what I do and wouldn't give it up for the world. So right now, I feel a deep connection uh, to same cafe and to all the guests that we serve there. And that's how I foresee myself being used by God in the foreseeable future. However long that path continues is to be seen, but at least for right now, that is the way in which I, I know that that is the way in which God intends for me to use my faith. Um, yeah. And that's awesome. What an, what an incredible space to be in too, right? Because we have to also remember, some people just don't get there or, or, or aren't in places like that currently. And so I'm really happy for you and um, happy for the ministry you're doing in that place. And happy that you get to come to Pub Theology and we get to hang out sometimes too, uh, along with some of your other housemates. That's just a, a really cool crew from uh, Urban Servant Corps that's gotten connected here. Um, and I re- Tyler, I really appreciate you just being so honest and vulnerable and open and sharing so much of your story here today. Anything you want to add or do you want to plug the same cafe one more time? <laughs> I'd be happy to. Uh, come and enjoy a lunch regardless of what way you would like to bring your participation in um 2023 east colfax 11 to 2 30 um come in give me a smile and i'll make you some delicious food <laughs> good work tyler thanks for coming on the podcast we really appreciate you and listeners thank you uh for checking this out please share the episode with family and friends and as always stay in peace everyone <laughs>